0: Hey again, just a quick note as usual. This episode has some big spoilers. Watch the movie first, and then come back and listen. I'm Elvis Mitchell, and this is the official podcast of Judas and the Black Messiah, the exciting new Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Award-winning film from director Shaka King and starring Daniel Kaluuya as chairman Fred Hampton.
1: I don't believe I'm gonna die in no Corey. I don't believe I'm gonna die slipping on no ice. I don't believe I'm going to die because I got a bad heart. I believe I'm going to die doing what I was born for. I believe I'm going to die half the people. I'm going to die for the people because I live for the people. I live for the people because I love.
0: This is the last episode of our companion series. We'll talk to Che Brooks and Stan McKinney, Black Panthers from the Illinois chapter who knew Chairman Fred. But first, Dominique Fishback. She stars as Deborah Johnson, whose name today is Mama Akua and Jerry. In the film, Deborah is Chairman Fred's girlfriend and the mother of their son. Their story begins when she approaches chairman after one of his speeches.
2: Do you like poetry?
3: I mean, it's cool, but as Che Guevara said... Words are beautiful by action supreme. You did.
2: I did, but you were up on that stage using words, so maybe next time choose them a bit more carefully. Instead that tearing down a folk you call yourself recruiting just because they demonstrate a little black pride. But just so you know, you are a poet.
0: Dominique talked to me and Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. about her very earliest days as a performer growing up in Brooklyn.
4: I started acting when I was 15 in a theater company that in order to act, you had to write your own stuff. So I started writing word and monologues and stuff. I had journals from when I was 12 years old. And so I've been looking back and saying, oh, wow, she was kind of giving me a lot of gems and tools that I didn't know that I needed.
0: What's it like to go back and look at those though? I mean, can you see like the blooming of who you are now in those?
4: Oh, absolutely. I'm such a romantic, I'm a poet, (laughs) all these things. And I'm from East New York and I went to high school in Brownsville and I feel like being from those areas kind of made me hide it a bit more. And so I think I put on a little bit of a, like a harder shell. I will say that this film and portraying Mama Kua and like, Spending time with this cast really helped me to soften in a way that I didn't know that I needed to or that I wanted to. Wow, really? Uh, Absolutely.
0: Dominique has starred in The Hate You Give, The Deuce, and Night Comes On. When director Shaka King approached her to play Deborah Johnson, one of her first questions was whether Chairman Fred Hampton Sr.'s family was involved. She had a couple of other concerns, too.
4: The two things that I mentioned to him from the original script that I read was You know, one of the first things that my character says to Daniel is, do you like poetry? You know, the Panthers were very poetic people, are very poetic people. So I would say, I think we miss an opportunity if we don't hear a poem. And he said, you know, I think you're right. You want to take a shot at that poem? So I actually wrote the poem that my character gets to say in the movie.
2: We educate, we nurture, we feed, and we lobby. Will my chairman look at me differently? Will his eyes have your twinkle? Will our child be the apple of his eye or constantly get the compromise? The rat-a-tat-tat of gunfire, the clink of jail cells, lullabies? We scream and we shout and we live by this anthem but his power to the people who really
4: worked not ransom. And then the other part was, you know, I know it's not a romance, but a lot of times when we see romantic films, you know, the, the white woman is like, the guy will do anything for the white woman off rip, right? She don't have to prove herself. But a lot of times when it comes to black women, we have to prove that we're loyal or prove that, you know, all of these things to prove before we're loved. And I said, I just want to make sure that we know that Chairman Fred in the movie cared about my character because of her intellect and not just her body. Like, how can we make sure that we know that he loved her regardless of her being pregnant or any of the other things that we can put in the mix? So I say that because I feel like originally, like Shaka, he always made room for me to speak, right? Like, and even when he's like, oh, I don't think it's that, but here's why. He always gave a here's why. He never shut something down and said, it doesn't matter. He respected me as a person, as a black woman, as an artist, and so I felt safe to speak up. A lot of times I was like, it's a it was a boys' club there. So and I'm and I'm new and I'm trying to figure out and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I still have to advocate for this woman, for this character that I'm playing, and for the legacy of Mama Kua. It's very important to me. Like I always advocated for myself, and so when I got there and I didn't have to with these young black men, I really understood how much we were um, internalizing. the the thoughts and the ideals of the Black Panther Party from what we've been learning from Chairman Fredrick.
0: As you're talking about this, the first thing I find myself thinking is that this is a role you were kind of born to play and also because she was a woman who was ahead of her time and you're a modern woman too. It seems like those sensibilities intersected.
4: Yeah, I feel fortunate about that. Actually, I was reading, so I've always loved the Black Panther Party. I was always interested. And then I'm also a huge fan of Romeo and Juliet, so I was like, I'm gonna write this romance, this Black Panther Party Room, you and Juliet type thing. So I was working on it. I'm I'm reading A Taste of Power by Elaine Brown. I'm like trying to understand and learn. And I'm reading this, and as I'm reading it, I get an email that Shaka has this this film. So I, I did feel I did feel like that I was meant to play this role. And then when I when we met uh Chairman Fred Jr. and Mama Kua in Chicago, oh, I was so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so <had> Tammin <laughs> was like, um, "So we are gonna go around this table and find out why every single one of y'all want to do this movie." And I was like, "Low and <laughs> I was like, "Well, I'm nervous." <laughs> man.
0: Well, tell us about what's your side of that meeting, Chairman? What do you remember about that,
1: man? Sister, she's something else, you know. Um, <clears throat> I'm going, I'm going that memory lane. Just, just flash it back, you know, and just. Uh, I still jump up at nighttime sometimes, you know, jump. Cut, stop, hold on. <laughs> 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 Just, <laughs> so
4: I had a nightmare that I cried too much and that we couldn't use any scene. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> like, I went to see Shaka and he was like, We can't use any of it. You're crying. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Why didn't
1: you tell me that we were filming? I could <laughs> oh, No, you were phenomenal, sis. Oh, no, let the record reflect. And I remember coming on the set one day. Uh, it was a scene they were shooting when the uh, headquarters was being attacked. And I walked in this setting, and the people, all the extras, and, you know what I'm saying, they had this, the, the, the clothes and stuff from the 60s, and, and even the people, I think that impacted the aura. You know what I'm saying? It was like the communalism that was there, you know what I'm saying? And, just, and you start seeing people just, they were dancing with each other. You know, It was contagious, you know? And I remember there was almost so many historical dates, and one of them happened to be the anniversary, I'm using that term kind of loosely, of the uh, murder of Tamir Rice. In Ohio. Oh, yeah, we went to
4: see you talk, it. No
1: doubt about it. As soon as I mentioned to them, I mean, they came. I'm talking about they, and I was tripping, them. I'm seeing them out of wardrobe, you know. They came, they seen me in my line of my genre, you know. Um, as soon as it was a reciprocal relationship,
0: There's a scene in Judas and the Black Messiah when police are preparing to attack the Panther office. One of the Panthers, played by Dominique Thorne, is concerned about Deborah Johnson's safety because she knows Deborah's pregnant.
2: Escort Comrade Deborah out the back to the safe house. Why? I could protect myself. I know you can. But you don't got just yourself to think about anymore. I didn't want to have to say it like this, but I I I recognize what you're going through with the chairman being locked up and everything, and I just, does
0: he know? Deborah doesn't say a lot in this scene. Everything she's holding is on her face. She's young and pregnant. Her child's father, Chairman Fred Hampton, is locked away in solitary, and all around her, the Panthers are loading their weapons on the second floor of the office, preparing for a gun battle with the police outside. Deborah's standing there, defiant and terrified. Mama Aku was on set the day they shot the scene.
4: Yes, that was the first time she saw me, boy. I was like, they were like, oh, Mama Koo's downstairs. I said, you know what? I'm going to stay up here on set. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like, I did the role. I, I did the scene. And then afterwards, they was like, Mama Cool wants to see you downstairs. I'm like, OK. So I walked downstairs. And, and Chairman said he wasn't crying. His, his eyes was just watery. That's what he
1: said. Eyes, my eyes was watery. Right.
4: But Mama, of course, said she said, she hugged me and she said, You did that motherfucking scene. <laughs> I was never yeah, you did that scene. I was like huh.
0: yes, indeed. What we've been talking about in, in, in the context of this movie is this kind of balance. You were talking about doing the work, developing the character, but also letting the character take you over.
4: Yeah. For every role that I take, but especially with this one, I just prayed and I said, like, please let me be a vessel right and and my main concern was how do i get to love someone so much that the sacrificial gesture that she does at the end where she covers his body with hers while pregnant how can i get there you know how could i love somebody so much not very many people on this earth could say that they've ever done that or that they would how could i get there and so i would i would really just kind of watch a lot of uh, chairman's videos and um, i think when it really when I was really aware of how powerful it was, was um, the day before we filmed the assassination scene. I couldn't sleep and I had knots in my stomach and my heart just being so fast. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I realized that my my body couldn't tell the difference between what my spirit and what my mind and what my emotions was experiencing. You know, because I had opened myself to to feel, how do I love somebody that much? And so even though I knew that it wasn't really happening, I, my body couldn't tell a difference. And I had to allow myself to cry and mourn the loss of this love. So that was what the night was before. And that's that's when I knew that it, it uh, really affected me, like, deeply.
0: Well, there's something so exciting about this and that we're watching two really epic figures in Black history, being given epic emotions. That's not something we see very often. And I wonder if that's something, in the playing of this, you felt like, I've got to do this for that reason alone. Because you deal with emotion so much in your work and your character's reaction to emotion.
4: Yes, absolutely. The scene where I actually read the poem to Chairman Fred in, in the movie, I remember every time I stepped into that bedroom, I could not stop crying. And I would be like... Like I want, like I'm, I'm, I'm saying, like I go out the room and I'm like Dominique and I was, it was suck up, and then every time I got in, every time I stepped in a room, it would be there. But you know, I said, well, Dom, then if this keeps happening, then you have to let it be because your body is is saying it. And on top of that, I felt like, wow, it's in my DNA. Maybe in this moment, it's not just about Mama Okua. Maybe it's about our ancestors who who did cry who had to cry, who had to release. Maybe this is the release. So I couldn't deny myself that and I just had to let it be, you know? But it reminded me of all the Black mothers who are losing their their children to police brutality and how they go up on a podium and they have to be strong for everybody in this country and in the world. They don't show tears, they stand there. Like soldiers, you know what I'm saying? Like warriors. So, So I felt like, in many moments, I could show that. And in this moment, in the bedroom, when I'm doing that poem, maybe it's for the ancestors who did, who wanted to well, who who sang the hymns. You know what I mean? And at the end, it's for the, the mothers today who are not crying, who are standing on that podium and, and speaking truth to power.
0: What do you want people to take away from this movie? Because there's a lot that you're talking about and there's a lot of subtext. But what do you want people to take away from it?
4: Well, I think it really, to me, it's, it's all about the youth. I think a lot of times we, we were taught, you know, in schools that we did not have heroes. And I feel like this is showing that we do. Chairman Fred, he included everyone. Nobody was below or beneath, right? Like, the that's why he, he united the gangs, right? And like, you, if you were a drug dealer, if you were a sex worker, if you were, he, everybody was important to the movement. And so it doesn't matter what your job is or what your history is or what your your wreck, your prison, your jail wreck, whatever it is. It doesn't matter because you are powerful and as power evidence people.
0: We're going to take a very, very quick break. And on the other side, two Black Panthers who knew and worked with Chairman Fred Hampton.
5: This podcast is brought to you by Warner Brothers Pictures, Judas and the Black Messiah, the Critics' Choice, WGA, and SAG Award-nominated film, and winner of the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor, Daniel Kaluuya. Now playing in theaters and streaming exclusively on HBO Max for 31 days. It's time the world knows the truth about Chairman Fred Hampton. Watch the film. Know his name. Share his legacy. Judas and the Black Messiah. Rated R.
0: And Welcome back. For this last part of our last episode, we're going to go back to where we started this series, to the real story of the Black Panthers in Illinois and their chairman, Fred Hampton Sr.
1: All power to the people. What we basically going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about what the pig is doing to the
3: Panthers all around the country. We're going to specifically be talking about what what the pigs are doing to the Black Panther Party right here in Chicago, Illinois. Because you can jail a revolutionary... But you can't jail a revolution. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can run a freedom fighter all around the country, but you can't run freedom fighting around the country. In
0: 1968, Fred Hampton, Bobby Rush, and several other Panthers founded the Illinois chapter. In just the first few months, membership grew officially to more than 300. That included these two men.
5: My name is Billy Che Brooks. Uh, I was the uh, Deputy Minister of Education for the
3: Illinois chapter of the uh, Black Panther Party. And my name is Stan McKinney. I was uh, a ranking file member of the Illinois chapter of Black Panther Party. I'd served in the capacity of many, many different roles. (laughs) Uh, Bodyguard for Bobby Rush. I also served on Huey Newt's security detail, so sold papers. I worked in every program that was uh, designated and uh, very honored to have been a part of one of the baddest organizations to land on this land.
0: Judas and the Black Messiah is just one small part of the Illinois chapter's story. Che and Stan were there for the whole thing. So, to get some sense of what it meant to be a Black Panther in Chicago, an experience beyond the movie, we wanted to talk to both of them. Che told me about what drove him to become a Black Panther.
5: I started 1963. I was a freshman in high school, running track, trying to negotiate from neighborhood to neighborhood without being brutalized by police.
0: Che paid a lot of attention to politics as a high school student, but his main interest was becoming a track star. And then, on the same day Che started college, he joined a tenants' rights protest and was arrested.
5: And that just changed my whole um, understanding, you know, to start hanging out with the Black Studies guys, you know, the guys reading all the books and shit, you know. But I was just reading to be reading to develop an understanding. I still thought I might go to the Olympics, even though I couldn't run that good. But then they they assassinated Dr. King in 68. And it was something that, you know, took me to another level of conscious thought, you know. And by September, October of uh, 1968, I met Bobby Rush and I met our chairman, you know, Chairman
0: Fred. Chase signed up with the Illinois chapter in the fall of 1968. As for Stan McKinney, he was drawn to the Panthers largely because of the way he grew up in Chicago's Austin and West Garfield Park neighborhoods.
3: What we were faced with was a lot of um, overt racism, being called nigger all day and night by most of the folks that lived in that community that were not black. We fought going and coming to high school. We would actually line up on one side of Madison Street, the pigs would be in the middle and whites on the other side throwing bricks, bottles. So we, we struggled with that. We organized Black student groups. Then let's get to the brutality. Uh, there was overt police brutality in our community. We were stopped. The pigs would jump out. They used to ride six deep, three in the front, three in the back. They would jump out, They used to carry revolvers at that time. They would take the bullets, all but one, out of the gun, put you up on the wall and play Russian roulette. Click, 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 click. And then they'd jump in the car, give you the fuck you finger and drive off. These are the kind of tactics that we, most young black men my age in the Austin community, were subjected to. That was the impetus that I needed for me to join the Black Panther Party because of the uh, heat that was coming down.
0: Stan and several friends joined in January of 1969, a couple of months after Che. Stan
3: was 15 years old. But you know, over the years, I've learned to understand that you're never too young for the struggle. We always said that youth make the revolution. I was a youth. And mind you, and joining the party, that structure was so phenomenal that you had to do a six-week political education process. So by the time I was 16, I traveled the world mentally, okay? And that, that tied me up to the perspective of many, the various revolutions that we had studied And then the awesome caviar was the political education classes that were mandated, that sometime would go on over into the wee hours of the morning. And and it seemed like we just found energy. It wasn't about sleep. We would continue to debate and struggle over various issues. And the one critical thing is that the Black Panther Party's newspaper was produced weekly, and you had to read that paper before you went out on the street to call yourself educating the masses. And and I mean, so there was a litany of materials that kept us with our blade sharp. In addition to the social practice of engaging in the, the survival programs, uh, serving the people. Yes, sir.
0: The survival programs were social services meant to address the needs of their community, like public health and food security. To Chairman Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party, these programs were just as important as armed struggle and self-defense. We need to do more
3: acting than we need to do writing. And I think the Black Panther Party is doing that. That we didn't talk about a Brexit for Children program, we've got one. We're not going to tell you how many kids we intend to feed in Chicago. We're feeding 3,000 to 4,000 every week already. We're not talking about beginning to think about uh, treating people free when they need medical services. We're opening a free health clinic in the city of Chicago in less than three weeks. These are the type of examples that people can relate to. Beyond the sale of the newspaper, the Breakfast for Children program was a major, major thrust. We had to be at those breakfast programs 6 o'clock in the morning. Then later, as the medical center opened and evolved, we, we did a lot of uh, community work in terms of getting out the medical center and the information, the sickle cell anemia program. And the various issues that uh, the Black community was faced with, we tried to address those issues.
0: I'm guessing, though, coming in at such a young age, it must have really opened the world up to you to see, first of all, the disconnect between what was being said in the media about the party and what you were able to report about it in the paper.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. The paper paper spoke of conditions not only— in the Black community, but the paper spoke of conditions throughout the world, should I say.
0: I guess I want to ask you about that a little bit too, Chay. just because this idea of being in a place like Chicago, which had all these other kinds of newspapers and news organizations, but still didn't report on what was happening in the community, it must have been really exciting to know that you actually finally had a a voice. Well,
5: you know, the thing of it is, is that through the news organ, you know, the Black Panther Party and the Communal News Service, we were able to use that as a tool to educate people, to inform people. You know, we had to be able to, uh, as we're trying to do now, tell our own story. But see, the key to what we was doing was that we had to be humble. So Chairman Fred saw newspapers. Yes, sir. Okay. Mm-hmm. Chairman Fred went to the breakfast program, you know. Uh, Chairman Fred went to community meetings, you know. Uh, we had to recognize that we were servants of the people. And it's an ongoing process. We knew then that it was a protracted struggle.
0: Chairman Fred Hampton and Black Panther Mark Clark were murdered during a police raid on December 4th, 1969. During the assault, police fired nearly 100 shots in the apartment. The Panthers fired just one into the ceiling. I asked Che and Stan about the weeks and months that followed the assault.
3: There was a lot of chaos, but in the midst of that chaos, because of the structure of the party and the love and respect for the chairman, we were able to hold things together. We actually took over the crime scene. Okay, uh, we opened that crime scene up to the community. We had party members that had orchestrated tours. And we were taking people from throughout this country that had came, as well as people that came from outside of the country, came to see that military assault that was planned by the government.
1: This is the door that's supposed to contain numerous a straight shotgun small
0: arms People lined up on the street as the Panthers walked them through Chairman Fred's apartment. The walls and doors were filled with bullet holes. Party members pointed out the blood-soaked mattress where the Panthers say Chairman Fred was shot to death at close range. They stood over the spot where Mark Clark was killed. They fired through the door and hit the brother through the door. The
3: brother fell here, most of the blood is dried up. but You can see a little bit of it there a little bit of it on the floor. The brother was shot, four or five times, so after they came through the door, they shot him again
0: to make sure he was dead. Jay Brooks was in jail during the assault. He describes a series of raids and attacks in 1969, all leading up to the murders of Chairman Fred and Mark Clark on December 4th.
5: I saw the entirety of the Illinois Chapel of Black Panther Party being perched. We had uh, three different, police assaults on our office. One was in uh, April of 69, the other was in July of 69, and the other was in uh, October of 69. So it was an escalation, you know, of violence toward the community and particularly toward the uh, Black Panther Party. And after the party was purged, and then after December the 4th, there was a void. That was a void in leadership in the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. I came home in January 1970, and the entire structure had flipped. A lot of solid, hard-working comrade brothers and sisters had left. We had new people who had joined the party. The
0: focus of the party
5: had changed.
0: Shea remembers that, starting in 1970, the party as a whole began turning its attention away from Chicago and other local chapters the focus shifted towards the Panthers' national leadership in Oakland, California.
5: I went out to Oakland. You know, a lot of our other comrades went out to Oakland, and these were some of our strongest people, which left a void here. But we still had uh, good comrades, you know, like Stan, you know, who remained on the ground, you know, who ensured that ideologically, philosophically and politically, the platform was addressed, the programs was addressed. That's why this film is so critical, and I can't stress enough that it's a good thing that young people are going to be exposed to the Black Panther Party in the state of Illinois, and particularly our chairman, Fred Hampton.
0: During my talk with Che and Stan, I wanted to bring Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. into the conversation. The creators of Judas and the Black Messiah first asked him and Mama Kour for their blessing to make the film and they brought in their larger Panther community to help decide if this was the right project to opt into. So I asked Chairman Jr. about how he approached Che and Stan with the idea and how he relied on their counsel as the movie was
1: made. Even when prior movie deals were brought to us before, people were saying, well, this is your father, you know, this is your daddy. You ain't got to talk to nobody, Chairman. I said, no, 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 no. Even on the set, people were like, why do you got to make these phone calls? Why you got to check in with your committee? Why you got to check on come? This is your father? no this is Chairman Fred, you know, we're just not negating him from being my father, you know what I'm saying? But again, the politics of that, so relate to it, I mean, consistently, not when I want to choose to say, okay, now where's the comrades at?
0: One of the last things we all talked about was Chairman Fred Jr. The two Panthers have been a part of his life since he was a child. They say he's a direct replica of his father. Here's Che.
5: As a young person, even though he walked, he was a little chairman. I mean, and in my heart, I affectionately still call him look little chairman because he my little chairman. But the thing that I can say is that I love him. I truly love him. And uh, I ain't never be far from him. It's just a matter of us all getting better
1: each day. Right on. Heads up, eyes open, and fists clenched. Yeah, yeah. This here be the champion Fred Hampton Jr. Live direct. See, now I need y'all to bear with me as I bear my soul. And take you on the insides behind enemy lines. About some state-sanctioned assassinations, mass incarcerations. And some other plans that these pigs done put into place. In order, amongst other things, to control the world population.
0: This podcast is a production of 99% Invisible, Proximity Media, and Warner Brothers. The series is written by Christopher Johnson, our supervising producer. Roman Mars is our editor. Our senior producer is Delaney Hall. Abby Madon is our associate producer. Special thanks also to producer Emmett Fitzgerald. Our team at PRX and Radiotopia includes Donna Hardwick, Julie Shapiro, Mario Carriker, Charlotte Cooper, David Catrone, Hunter Laningham, Audrey Martovich, and Ankita Verma, the Proximity Media team includes Ryan Kugler, Zevo Hanian, Archie Davis, Zinzi Kugler, D'Angelo Lewis, Desi Gallegos, and Zitra Evans. Thanks to the entire Warner Brothers marketing team. Our music was composed by Sean Real. Graham Haysha is our fact checker. Bryson Barnes is our mix engineer. Special thanks to Layla Wills, our sync producer in Chicago. Footage from Fred Hampton, Black Panthers in Chicago is a copyright of Video Freaks, courtesy of Video Data Bank at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And I'm your host, Elphus Mitchell.
1: You see, still stood straight up against the system and said, yeah, motherfucker, we subversive, and freedom of death. Strapped up in the spirit of self-defense. Free clothes and free busing programs, first free breakfast programs, armed with a political ideology that was still the test of time in a 10-point platform. Now fast forward in closing words, the tongues of Black Panther Party Cubs, let us continue resisting. never forget, 2037 West Monroe, 4.35 a.m. in the morning, west side of Chicago, 1969, December fourth.
5: All right, that's it. Um, we are officially finished for this one.
1: Ooh. I'm good. We good? Yeah, we're good. Layla, now it's for me and Layla I have
4: to do some stuff. One, comrades, two, three, I'm
1: out. Hey, Minister Che, hey, comrade Stan, revolutionary, love, respect, and respect. Right, right, on. Elvis, Chris, we're man. that's us hey, appreciate y'all. Let's take a look. What about me? Right I'm on. About, I'm not finishing my speech yet. because <laughs> I, I was really interrupted. What about me? I, I, I mean, I'm interrupted by somebody over here. i was about to <laughs> you. I, I have my, you know what I'm saying? I'm at the podium doing my. Uh, <laughs>
2: up, Radiotopia from PRX